listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Welcome to this latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. We're engaging in a study in Paul's first letter to Timothy. And at the present time, we're in the third chapter. The last time we were together, we began to think about the subject of the elder. The subject of church government is not a popular subject in the minds of many. And yet, as we'll see today, it is vital for the well-being of the church and for the well-being of God's people What is clear today is that the elder who will rule the Church of Christ is also a man who serves by example and who leads the flock by example, pointing them in the ways of likeness to Christ. So then read to the words of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the first seven verses. The Word of God says this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. We trust that God will bless his word in your hearing today. And let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to study this portion of scripture today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you for its instruction and its direction in so many of these practical areas. And we pray you'd help us all to consider the word today, how it applies to our souls, how, O Lord, it would point us to the Saviour. Help us, O Lord, to understand the truth and use it in each and every life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it is worth pointing out afresh that it is God who is the one who has instituted church government. This subject is not a convenient construct that man has placed upon other men in order to bring about control and to bring about some way of power and authority. It is God who in his word has put in place the structures that are beneficial for the people of God in the church. No Christian should act as an island living alone without any obligation or responsibility either in submission to uh, elders or also in their love in the community of the Church of Christ. The Church is a a body. It is a united body. It is a head that is Christ and there are various members. The Church is a building. It is a structural form. It has a foundation that is Christ and then the living stones are brought in together. And in this structure, in this Church body, the Lord has put in place two Offices that would serve and work in the church. There is the office of the elder, 
And as we saw last time, the elder is known as the bishop or the pastor, teacher, the shepherd of the flock. And there's also the role of the deacon. Last time we really considered something of the implications of the desire for the office that may be within a man for this role of the bishop. Verse 1 says, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And the men that God appoints to serve as elders are men who serve out of this sense of compulsion. There is a desire placed there of God. And that is an aspect of the calling of men into the role of the elder. Such is not a desire for self-promotion or to further personal ambition. But as God is pleased to call the uh, teaching elder, so he also puts the work upon the hearts of the ruling elders. That division of teaching and ruling elders is even given to us in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5 and the verse number 17, that there are those who, who rule and there are those who will engage, particularly in the labour of teaching the word. But for all of the elders, there will be this desire that is placed there by God. This word desire speaks of stretching for something. And it is important that in our churches we, we pray for God to work in the hearts of men so that they would have this God-given desire to stretch for the role of the bishop. Not that they would desire prominence or seek to further their own personal ambition, but rather they would desire to serve Christ in the church. That they would desire to be the men that God would place in this office. It is God who puts this desire. And with that in mind, not all men are given this desire. There are various gifts given within the church. But we should pray for God to work in the hearts of our men that they would desire to serve in this fashion. But those men who are given this sense of compulsion will then have that compulsion confirmed by the church. Sadly, uh, due to sin, there are some men who desire, again, this elevation that they perceive and not the humble desire to serve. The elder is one who is burdened to serve the church. Hence, it may be a case that a man will express the desire to serve as an elder, but under God, that desire may not be confirmed by the church. There are several portions of Scripture that indicate the church's role in the appointing of the elder. Titus chapter 1, Paul tells Titus in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. Here was Paul with apostolic authority given the the obligation of, of ordaining elders in every city. And so in Acts 14 we read, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed the fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And so there was this appointment of men within the church body. That, at that point that was overseen by the apostles, but they were coming out of the church body men who are part of the church membership who, who, who showed themselves to be exemplary men men who possessed certain qualifications that then rendered them suitable to serve in the role of the elder and note that in these verses we see that there are many bishops appointed in each church not many churches with one bishop it is one of the reasons that we would see that the Episcopalian model for church government is not founded in the word of God. 
We have here the appointment of many elders, many bishops within the context of, of individual churches. And But as churches would consider certain men to serve, Paul has given us these qualifications in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy that, that help the church to make assessments regarding the men that they may appoint to serve as elders over them. And we're going to think of those qualifications today. But as we do so, there are certain things that we need to be clear about. First of all, this is not a job description. This is not a, a list of instructions as to how these men are to serve. Rather, these are necessary qualities for someone who is then called upon to serve. They are present prior to ordination, and of course they continue to be present after. What is also true is that these qualities apply to all Christians with the exception of being apt to teach. And they are found to apply to Christians elsewhere in a general sense. And so as we study these qualities today, I want to be very clear that the elder is simply one who displays true Christianity. The qualities that are mentioned here also refer to Christ who lived in this world as a perfect man. As we consider them very quickly today, we're actually looking at things that ought to be true of all of us as we live in this world. They are qualities we should all be striving for. The elder is to serve as an example. And that's the theme that I want to really leave with you today, that these men, they are examples to the people of God, examples of the character that all Christians should display. They're examples of Christ-likeness. These qualities are are not things that we strive for in order to be saved. Rather, they are the results of grace. They are the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in these men, that as they've been washed in the blood of Christ and given a new heart, so out of that new heart comes these qualities that are then exemplified in the body of Christ. And thus, when we think of this, I don't please don't think that if I'm more like this, I'll please God and be saved. We understand that even the best of men are only men at best and even those who serve as elders have, have, have a sin nature and they themselves require the covering of Christ's blood. And so as we think about these qualities, we are seeing the qualities that should be possessed by those who have been born again of the Spirit of God. And these are not things that lead us into Christ, but they are things that come out of those who have come to know Christ And so these elders are men of experience. They're men who've been saved by God's grace. And please let me take the time to note that point again. We ought not to have men over us in spiritual things who are not themselves possessing those spiritual graces. Sadly, there are churches who exalt men to leadership because of a financial weight or some family connection. We want men to serve in the church of Christ and to lead in the church of Christ who themselves possess the grace of Christ. These are men who, according to verse number 6, are not novices. They're not newly planted, but they have been planted. They are born of God. And those men of experience are then these men who serve in terms of their example. They are men of proven testimony. Here we see the principle of the importance of Christian character in the serving of the Church of Christ. Sadly, there are men who are perceived to have great gift. They are fluent in speech. 
They are charismatic individuals, and they can often be exalted to leadership, but they do not possess true Christian character. When you look at the instructions given to the church by Paul, we see that Paul desires in the purpose of God that those who serve are men who are blameless in character. Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, not sinless, but men who are above reproach, men that cannot have the finger pointed at them because of some obvious sin. They are men worthy of respect and men who, as we've been saying, are living parables of Christian conduct. And as you consider this overarching concept of being men above reproach, you see that them being developed in certain areas. I feel like there are three spheres that we can see the character of the elder, the man of God. They are seen to be men of character in the church of Christ, in the home from which they come, and also in the community. In general, there are certain things that are seen, and they are seen particularly within the context of the local church. They are men of integrity, men of spirituality, men of sobriety, men of geniality, men of hospitality, and men of ability. They are men of integrity. They are marked by good behavior. That's what it says, verse 2, of good behavior. It's interesting that same word, is used in chapter 2 and verse 9, translated there with the word modest, and we considered the the modest apparel of the lady. And the sense here is that their good behavior adorns the gospel. There is a pleasantness about their character, not purloining, as it says in Titus chapter 2, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Christian Character should be something that is pleasant and orderly. It can be said of the Christian that he is a good man. That these are men who are not unpleasant, not deliberately unpleasant, but men of grace and integrity. This is an undervalued quality. There ought to be a likableness in the Christian man. And the Christian woman also, again, remembering these elders are serving by way of example. It is, it is important that as we would serve in the church of Christ, that we do so in a way that people are drawn. They're drawn to the elder. They, 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 they find the person to be approachable. Their integrity is a pleasant thing. They're also men of, of, of spirituality. Uh, the word vigilant is used in verse number 2, the idea of being watchful. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as the others, but let us watch and be sober. First Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This spirituality, this vigilance is seen particularly in the area of prayer. 1 Peter 4, verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The elder is a man who is spiritually astute, not naive regarding error or regarding the potential for sin. They're not men of carelessness. They are alert. They are vigilant. And that is seen in terms of their prayer life. They pray for themselves, for their family, and for the church of Christ conscious of the danger of living in this fallen world, men who are vigilant. And so you have integrity, spirituality, 
You also have the quality of sobriety. These are sober men, serious men. And the word sober is used in verse number two again. They are self-controlled regarding their passions. They're not given to wine. They're not addicted to money, not greedy, a filthy looker. They're not given to the addiction to possessions. They're not covetous. These are men who are marked by, by godly sobriety. And once more, these are men who serve by example. Uh, an unbridled passion is not uh, according to grace. And Christians ought not to be given to addictions of, of wine and money and possessions. There is a, a living of the Christian life in this world that is marked by sobriety. They are also men who are marked by a geniality. They are not violent men, but patient men. Uh, the language of verse 3 says that they are not a brawler. It can be said with some people they would pick their pick a fight with their shadow. Oh, the sheep of Christ must be treated with gentleness. And the elders' approach to error must not be their approach to the sheep. The wolves who come into the church of Christ and seek to destroy the sheep, well, they must be treated with fierceness and they must be driven away from the flock. But the sheep must be treated with great care and gentleness. An argumentative spirit is a, a dangerous thing within the church leadership. You want your church leaders to be men who are gentle, approachable, not given to contention and not given to uh, unnecessary arguments and unnecessary uh, disputes. Of course, there is a time to stand for truth and stand against error. But in general, these men are not men who seek to uh, bring about a fight. They are men of hospitality. We have that given to hospitality. These are men who are warm and open-hearted. And the word for hospitality there speaks of especially being hospitable towards strangers. Once more, the Christian is to be open-hearted towards those who do not know the Lord or those who, who may come from outside. A welcoming spirit. Of course, these men are also men of ability. They are apt to teach. This teaching will take various forms and spheres, but they are men who must know the truth and be able to communicate the truth. Titus 1, regarding these men, in verse 9 says, "...holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught." that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Note again that these elders are apt to teach as those who have themselves been taught. There is the need for these men to be taught the gospel, that they then may be able to uh, exhort and convince others regarding the truth of the gospel. So you have these general qualities that are possessed particularly within the sphere of the church then there's also an assessment made of these men in their homes. Elders, and indeed all believers, must ensure that their faith affects the home life. Again, the, the elder in the home will not be a man marked by sinless perfection, but it ought to be clear that he's a man of God in the home as well as out of the home. Sadly, there are those who serve in the church and they look to uh, all viewers that they are godly men in the church, but within the privacy of the four walls of their home, they are they are not godly men at all. That ought not to be so. And so here you see qualities regarding the man of God within the context of the home. He is to be the husband of one wife. Uh, this is a tricky 
disputed phrase. What is meant by the husband of one wife? Well, I would assert that it is a proof text that elders ought to be men. And that, as we've seen before, the role of the elder is not the role that God has assigned to to the woman within the church. But the text itself is, is a somewhat challenging. Does this discount single men or widowers? Well, we see that Paul served as a single man. We also understand from 1 Corinthians 7 that whilst those who are widowers uh, are allowed to stay single, but they are also given freedom to, to marry. Some think this reference is to a reference of the culture of polygamy, and that perhaps there were men in the church who were saved, they had more than one wife, and therefore they came into the role of the elder as having more than one wife, and that not, not to be so. I don't think that's the meaning of the text either. Chapter 5 and verse number 9 refers to the widow as being the wife of one man. And using the very same structural language as used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 regarding the elder as the husband of one wife. And polyandrony, having more than one husband, was not common. Hence the issue here is not that the man is, is, is one who does not have multiple wives, but rather that he is a one-woman man. He's a man who is faithful in his marriage, not looking to the left or the right and the point here is that if the elder is to serve, they ought to display the Christian model of marriage. The culture of rampant immorality is such that the danger is that that immorality will come into the church. But God would have his leaders model godly marriage. That the elder would display God's model of having one wife for life. And that is God's intention. God's intention for marriage is a marriage between one man and one woman, and that is for life. That is the highest level of sexual morality, and again, Christian men must all strive for this. Clearly, marriage matters in a stable church and a stable society. Um, We see in today's society how these things are being laid aside. But Paul makes it clear in the church there is to be this leadership and the example in this leadership of men who are given to faithfulness in the context of their marriage. There are also men who rule well. Verse 4 says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? This does not mean that elders must have saved children, but they ought to have submissive children. Children who submit to godly authority. Not that these children are robotic clones without any personality. And these men are not serving as dictators in their home, but they care for their home. That this ruling in the home is a ruling of care. Hence, to rule the home is then used as an example of how they would then take care of the church of God with strong authority but also with gentle, nurturing care for the well-being of the children, which would then be seen in the well-being of the people of God. Let me just pause and say that as we consider these elders as examples, they are showing us again of the importance of the home life, that when we're saved by God's grace, that impacts how we live in our homes. So these men, as they're being assessed for the role of the elder, 
They are men who show Christian character in the church. They are men who show Christian character in the home. And they're also men who show Christian character in the community. Verse 7 says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. It's significant that when you look at the book of Acts, the apostles were never persecuted on moral grounds. They were persecuted on the ground of the message being challenged. Never was their persecution based on the messenger's morality. The outsider, those who are not saved, they're not part of the church of Christ, they should not be surprised when they hear that a man is an elder. These men are examples. And their Christian character should be seen in the context of the world outside. These are men who are examples. And so let me finish our broadcast today by reminding you again that all Christians ought to strive to be a testimony of righteousness in every area of their lives. Not that they would earn salvation, but that we would all adorn the gospel of Christ in the church, in our home, and in the community. It is such a blessing to be part of a church that is ruled by godly men, men who show by their example what it is to live for Christ, men who show the grace of God, men who show what grace can do in their lives as they are turned from unrighteousness unto Christ likeness. We ought to pray for those who rule as elders in our churches. There is a danger. Satan is out to get the leadership of the church. We see that they are not to be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride they fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, verse number 7 says that there is a danger of them falling into reproach and the snare of the devil. Well, the devil is out to get church leadership because when the church leadership falls, that does much damage to the body of Christ. It does much damage to the sheep. As the leaders would fall prey of Satan's devices, and so that indeed can do damage to the army, the soldiers of Christ who serve in the body of Christ. And so I trust that this study in church government is not one that is not practical and beneficial to all of you today. We all understand that we fall short of the standard of righteousness. And so may God help us to seek Christ and seek the Spirit of God that we'd live for Christ in the church, in our homes, and in this community for the glory of God's name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.